welcome to Adventurous Investor in Conversation. Um, I have with me uh, in this episode, second episode of the series, uh, John Calverley from, uh, I always get this wrong, John, is it Tricio or Tricio? Tricio. Tricio, okay, absolutely. Uh, Tricio Advisors, who are an excellent outfit who work with uh, investment funds, family offices, and IFAs, giving them an overview of where the big investment trends are and the macroeconomic trends. Uh, and on that theme of macroeconomic trends, we've got their chief economist, um, who is a bit of an expert on housing. As well. uh, John, you, John, you've written a few books on housing. When was the last one you wrote? Well, the first one I wrote was in 2004. Um, it was called Bubbles and How to Survive Them. Um, and that one uh, sort of forecast that the US housing bubble, which I could see at the time, was, was getting bigger and could be a major problem. Uh, and then when, the, when it actually went bust, I did a follow-up, which was published in 2009 which was essentially saying, I told you so. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so I've, I've spent a lot of time looking at uh, bubbles generally and housing in particular. Okay, so I suppose that the obvious question is, if you, if you look at um, some of the numbers coming out about house house building in the UK and the US, some of the numbers coming on mortgage numbers, it still looks a pretty healthy market. So should we be worried? I think we probably should be worried. I think it's just beginning to turn. And it's turning slowly because there's sort of a backlog. People are still looking to, to buy because they want more space post-COVID. Um, and at the same time, the number of sellers seems to have gone down. So uh, while the number of buyers looking has gone down, the number of sellers uh, selling has gone down too. So that's, that's still keeping the market, or at least keeping prices, uh, rising. But I think that that's going to change as we go forward with interest rates rising and the economy is slowing. So what's the so so how worried should we be? Is it do you think in the UK and in the US and you're actually speaking from Canada, which might well be the epicenter of bubbles? How big a bubble do you think the key Anglo-Saxon well actually while we're saying Anglo-Saxon, let's go to Australia, another bubble market. <clears throat> um, how how much of the bubble are these respective Anglo-Saxon key markets? Well, we've obviously seen big rises in prices, particularly over the last two years uh, during COVID. Um, in the US, uh, Australia, Canada, we've seen rises of 30% or more in just two years. In the UK, it's around 25%, Germany about the same. But these are very large rises over two years. But these come on top of essentially 10 or 12 years of uh, gradually rising prices after the last uh, bust in, in 2008. So I like to look at valuations. So you can look at house prices relative to incomes and relative to rents. And on those measures, um, house prices look very high, um, much higher than normal. So I think that's that's real cause for concern. Bubble? Is it a bubble in the UK and the US? Yeah, so bubble's a difficult word to use. Yeah, I realize. As, as, as you know, the and I did a lot of work on this, the academics, when they look at this, they, they always find it very difficult to define a bubble. Um, because any kind of, kind of simple definition of a bubble, there's always some market that goes up that doesn't come down. Um, mm. So you can't you can't come up with a sim simple definition based on the rise in prices or even on valuations. So what I use is a checklist where you look at uh, a whole range of different factors. And if you tick most of them, then you've probably got a bubble. And some of those factors are the obvious ones like a big rise in prices or a big rise in debt, mortgage debt, a uh, big rise in valuations. But I also look at some behavioural things, like uh, is there a lot of media interest? And I think mm. that would be the case. There has been a lot of media interest. Yep. Yep. Is there some kind of new factor in there uh, that makes people think house prices should be higher 
And I think there is. I think um, well, there's this long-term one of low interest rates. Yeah. People have taken the view that interest rates are going to stay low forever. So that's kind of a new paradigm, if you like. And there's also more recently, there's the COVID thing, which says actually people want more space. So, so when you get all these factors, and especially these behavioral factors, and you tick them all, then you start to say, well, yeah, this probably is a bubble, uh, and it may not be justified. So to put you on the spot, bubble in the US? Bubble in the US, I think, yes. And Canada and Australia, a bit less of one, actually, in the UK. I think prices right. are elevated in the UK, um, but less so. But the big difference in the UK is that we, we don't build many houses, um, whereas in Canada and Australia and the US, uh, they do build a lot of houses each year. Oh, that's interesting. So you suspect that prices in the UK, though I'm putting words into your mouth, probably extended and probably quite high, maybe not bubble territory. The reason you think that is fundamentally because we just don't build enough houses. Yeah, so there just isn't the supply coming through. When you have countries where you have a lot of supply coming through, um, the bubble can easily go bust because demand falls off and still there's a lot of new housing coming into the market. But in the UK, that's not really the case. The, the other thing in, in, the, well, in all the countries really is, and this is going to help a lot in terms of stopping prices from falling too much in nominal terms, is that we're seeing this big surge in general inflation. So in a sense, the, the general price level was, is, is taking a 10% jump uh, mm. this inflation yeah. on yeah. top of the usual 2% we would expect uh, from, from inflation target. And that kind of that 10% jump in prices over time will be matched in, in wages and in rents. Um, so that's going to support the valuations. Okay. So if, if America, Canada, Australia are in bubble territory, how big an adjustment do you think they're facing over the next couple of years? Are we talking a couple of percent, 5%, 15%, something bigger? Yeah. So top end of that um, for those countries. Um, in, in my report, I said 15 to 25% decline. Uh, in nominal house prices. And that's even though you get this cushion of, of the general rise in inflation. And that's because prices are so elevated uh, and because interest rates are rising. And interest rates in the US are rising very fast, uh, also in Canada and Australia. So um, all that points to uh, lower prices. In the UK, I'm expecting more like 10 or 15% nominal decline which is significant, but not huge, I would say. Mm. Um, I mean, if you if you decided to sell your house today and went to two or three estate agents, you'd probably yeah. get a 10 or 15% range at least in yeah. the valuation. Yeah. Um, so you never quite know what your house is worth. Um, but it is going to be a change because it will mean that house prices, having risen for a very long time, will fall a bit and then only gradually rise again. So over four or five years, you, you, you may see them down and then up again, but basically unchanged. That's a, that's a big change from, from the last 15 years. Um, there are two follow-up questions I want to ask. Do you not think it's possible we could have a kind of German situation where I think it was the 1990s and to less degree the 2000s as well, uh, German prices sort of just went nowhere for quite an extended period of time, but uh, in nominal terms, but actually in real terms, although German inflation isn't high, they were, particularly when compared to wages, they, they had fallen behind. So in a sense, they didn't really see big falls, but they just – didn't go anywhere for a period of time. Now, that's changed in the last couple of years. But do you think we could see a kind of German chill? Yeah, so what you're saying really is instead of seeing that sort of uh, drop in prices, we, we just sort of go sideways and wages yeah. catch yeah. up. Um, for that to happen, I think you'd need to see interest rates not rise too much um, and the economy not look too bad. 
Um, mm. And that's possible. Uh, that's kind of a soft landing, if you like. Mm. Um, but uh, it doesn't look that way to me at the moment. It looks more like we're going to see higher rates, especially in the US, um, and probably some kind of recession, probably a mild recession uh, in comparison to recent ones, but nevertheless, some kind of recession. Um, and that in that environment, house prices tend to adjust. Um, as I say, you, you see the bigger adjustment where you've got a lot of new supply coming through because the builders have to shift. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you're in your own house and you're thinking of selling and you don't like the current price, you can perhaps wait. But uh, the builders, the developers, they have to shift their, their Yeah, have to shift supply. their stock. Um, and then the other question, I suppose, becomes affordability. Is, and you, you mentioned that obviously inflation, general inflation is going up, wages are going up. And, and that that hits a ratio that a lot of particularly younger investors look at, which is kind of you know ratio to income, you know, affordability measures. I, I, I'm I've been out of the property market for so long, I don't know, but I'm guessing that <laughs> in certain regions in the UK, it's you're looking at anything between six to nine times earnings, um, you know, to various on the regions. Now, presumably that 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 ratio will compress as both prices come down and also wages go up. How much do you think that ratio will compress by? Yeah, you're right. It, it could compress quite a lot. I mean, in the UK, if we saw a 15% fall in, in prices over the next three years, uh, you, you're probably going to see a 15% rise in wages. So basically, add them together, you've got about a 30% improvement in affordability. So if it's nine times now, it'll be six times. Yeah, um, that's good, roughly. I mean, that's that's going yeah. to be uh, you know much better for young people or people who are not on the housing ladder or even people trying to trade up. Um, it's it gives them more opportunity. Okay, so obviously, what are, let's look at the factors causing this. We've looked at one of them, which is just prices have got a bit out of control, uh, and now they need to come down. How much of this is also being influenced by increased interest rates? Now, the reason I ask the increased interest rate question is because it's not immediately obvious that increased interest rates does have an impact um, because a, a lot of people, me included, have got their mortgages fixed. So, the, you know, the, the kind of the gearing that you get from increased interest rates is actually massively diminished in the last few years because everybody's been switching on to fixed rates. Now, obviously, a lot of those people do come off fixed rates, but you know, there must be a size of proportion of the market who are virtually completely insulated. And we're also missing out people who don't even have a mortgage, for which there's a substantial proportion of people who are in that category. So it's not immediately obvious to me that increasing interest rates means financial pressure. You're right. I mean, anybody with with some kind of long-term fix, and of course, in the US, people have 30-year fixed yeah. mortgage rates. In the UK, a lot of people have two, three, often five years. Yeah. So they're relatively insulated. Um, but of course, those two-year fixes do come due in in time, um, yeah. and also, of course, anybody any new buyer has to look at um, a higher interest rate than they would have done, let's say, last year. Um, in the UK, interest rates look like they'll probably rise by less than in the US. So, I mean, the Bank of England is taking a much more cautious approach, and that will help um, because even now, sort of two-year, three-year fixes are not that different to what they were pre-COVID. Yeah, because um, interest rates were a bit higher just before just before COVID. Um, so I would say it's not not a huge impact. We're not going to see what we used to see in the UK that suddenly everybody, all consumers or mortgage holders, which was at least half the population, uh, were in trouble when interest rates yeah. rose. Yeah. That won't be yeah. the case. But in terms of the housing market specifically, um, the fact that uh, the, mor- the mortgage rates are going to be higher will deter first time buyers in particular. Okay, so 
I'm interested to see the knock-on impact for investors as they look across their portfolios. I mean, the most obvious place you'd start is house builders, I suppose, <laughs> uh, because they build the homes that are being affected by these price changes. Um, now, I- I've always been slightly cynical about the argument that the house builders will get badly, badly hurt in the UK because we have a very concentrated house builder market. You know, the top nine to ten brands effectively control large, a large proportion of the house building market. They have massive land banks. They're all phenomenally profitable. And sure, they'll have a year or two of very bad profits. I, I have no doubt at all. And, and some of them are beginning to signal it already. Um, but they're, you know, they're, in, they're in a profoundly strong structural position because, as you said, we're not building enough. And some would argue, people like Liam Halligan, I think, would argue this, that one of the reasons that actually we do have such a strangled supply of housing is because the big big-scale house builders effectively got massive land banks. It's it's obviously it's short term bad news for the house builders, but you know the cynic in me think turns around and goes, well, actually, all that happens it will push all the small house builders who go out of business and solidify their grip. So it might actually all be good news for the house builders in the long term, and they can buy property even cheaper as stuff comes down in price because house land prices are much more geared to what you're talking about than pure housing. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean it's bad news for the house builders long term. No, you're right. I, I don't. I don't think we'll necessarily see massive distress there. I think you're right. I think they've, they've got um, a lot of protection. Um, house building stocks are generally down, of course, already uh, in anticipation. Higher interest rates nearly always do that. Yeah. Um, the they will face the issue that the land they bought over the last couple yeah. of years is going to look expensive when they develop it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but obviously, they're in it for the long term, as you say, and, and they'll be able to buy land uh, cheaper going forward. Um, so, does this does this have any knock on effect on the wider consumer economy? And I suppose that's the sixty four trillion dollar question, which is is that particularly the UK and the US, oh, probably true in Canada as well. A lot of people's wealth is either intrinsically in property, by it what they own is their property, or actually in terms of behaviour, which is they when they feel wealthier, they're more likely to spend. And that's actually got a direct link, which is people actually increasing mortgages in order to go and spend. Presumably, the impact on the UK consumer market, which isn't looking strong anyway, um, could be quite severe in this example. Yeah, I think um, it's going to have a bigger impact in the US than the UK. Um, okay. Because uh, in the US, people can always remortgage very easily and use that money to spend on other things. Yeah. And they won't be able to do that now. Mortgage rate in the US has, has risen a lot. It's risen from about 3% to almost 6%. Yeah. Um, so that's a big increase. So we're not going to see that. Um, but the, the wealth effect that you talk about, the fact that people won't feel so well off, that will affect both countries, I think, um, and will have some impact, yes. And there's also, just sorry, going back to the interest rate question, there's a, there's a question about the, the quantum or the pace of interest rate changes. A lot of people, you, me, lots of other people and observers, wonder whether or not in the UK, the US will have a kind of approaching a Volcker moment, yeah, a famous Paul Volcker, well, two of them instance, where he, he jacked up interest rates and brought the US economy to a shuddering halt. I don't think anybody's thinking interest rates would go up to 10 or 15%, but you know, interest rates might go above, say, 5%, 6%, something like that which is scenario A. And then there's scenario B, which is what the doves maintain, which is the interest rates might peak out in the US at, I don't know, somewhere between 3 and 5%, depends where you are, maybe at the lower end. And actually then they'll come down quite rapidly. 
Um, I, we, we might have a, an increasing interest and then quite soon in early, say, quarter 23, interest rates will come down. That could be good for the housing market, couldn't it? But the Volcker moment, I presume, is bad for the housing market. Yeah, if, if interest rates go very high, and at the moment the markets are actually expecting rates in the US to only go to about 3%, yeah. in the UK less than that, 2 2.5%. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, uh, but that may be too optimistic. It's going to yeah. depend on whether. I think it probably is, is actually. <laughs> yeah. It's going to depend on whether inflation proves persistent or not. Um, but there's actually another scenario which you didn't mention, which was that interest rates go to 2 or 3%, but then stay there. They don't come down again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's actually quite plausible um, because I think, well, I think we're, we're seeing an economic slowdown now in the US and in the UK. Um, I wouldn't call it a recession yet, although we may be very close to recession. And it's actually possible we are already in recession. Yeah, yeah. I wonder whether or not we are, actually, to be honest. Yeah. In the UK, more likely than the US. Uh, yeah, already. exactly. Um, but the central banks are not likely to cut interest rates immediately, which is what they did in uh, 2020 when COVID hit and what they did in 2008 when the recession hit. So they won't immediately respond to a recession by cutting rates. They may pause. Um but the fact that they won't cut means that um, we may go through this recession with interest rates not coming back down to zero, as we've seen in the past. Uh, if that's the case, and then you see an economic recovery, we could be in a world where interest rates, instead of back at zero, as many people think they will be in a few years' time, but actually there's a, there's a much higher structure than before, where the base is 2 or 3%, uh, and then perhaps you go up from there. Um, and that has implications for valuations generally of stocks, yeah. uh, bonds, yeah. um, and housing. Because if, we're, if we are in a higher interest rate environment, then you're not going to see such high valuations as we've seen. And other three scenarios we've sort of talked about, the Volcker moment, jacket interest rates possibly above 5%, the, um, your, the scenario just mentioned, which is keep it, put them up to about 2 or 3% and then keep them there. And then the third star, which is get them up to three, four percent, and then bring them down again to one percent, zero percent. Which I'm suspecting you put, you probably put your money on the second scenario, which is stay high longer. Yeah, that's where my money is at the moment. Um, so interest rates go up, not not drastically high, but much higher than we've tended to see for the last ten or fifteen years. Um, but then they don't come back down again. Yeah. Um, the best scenario for housing is probably the third one, as you as you said. Yes. Uh, yeah. Rates go up, hopefully not too high, and then come back down again very quickly. Uh, and that would certainly underpin valuations. Hmm. Um, I, I wonder if the election cycle might have anything to do with it. Anyway, um, that, of course, that never comes into the minds of central bankers because they they obviously got their, their own mandates. Um, I, I just want to finish with the last couple of questions. Property cycles. This is an interesting one. I, 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 I sort of, I've been hearing about it from many people. You've talked a bit about it. There does seem to be a kind of, in residential property anyway, and in commercial property as well, there seem to be these kind of long property cycles. And I, I, most stock market investors are quite cynical about long cycles, yeah, um, partly because partly because stock market's too short-termist, really. It just moves in kind of relatively short cycles. But the property cycle does seem to have some validity, doesn't it? I think it does, yes. Um, I mean, one always has to be careful about cycles because they're, yeah. they're never consistent and sometimes they – they go away and the, and the timing can be different. But um, the idea of a, of a property cycle of something like 16 to 18 years goes back a long way. Um, a chap called Homer Hoyt, writing in the 1930s, uh, wrote about the US land market in Chicago, and he found an 18-year cycle there. Um, in the context of the UK, if you recall, we had a big property bust in 1973, yep. another one in 1990, that's 17 yep. years, another <laughs> yep. one in 2007, that's another 17 years. <laughs> yep. 
so it's fitting. I'm seeing a pattern well. here. <laughs> yeah, and there's, there's something similar in the US as well. Um, so, um, I mean, the, the, the reason why you might see a cycle like this is not entirely clear. It may be that it takes that long for people to forget. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah. you get a, a sort of boom or a bubble. Um, and then it goes bust and people are very cautious for a long time. Yeah. And it takes them, you know, 10 years to get yeah. excited again about housing and up you go again. Uh, and then you get another bust. That may be the most likely reason. And if we do follow the 17 or 18 year property cycle, doesn't that sort of suggest that we might be a bit early that using 2007, 2008 as the last trough, it may be, it could be due maybe a little later, maybe push out your bubble to bubble bursting to 24. Uh, it could be. It could be. Um, that's why I tend to use 16 to 18 years. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> okay. But even allowing for that, uh, the US peak was in 2006. Um, so so okay, we're, yeah. uh, this mm. year is is 16. The UK peak was 2007. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, maybe next year. As I said right at the beginning, prices do seem to be still rising just now, at least in the US and the UK, not in Canada, uh, where they're falling here already. Um it's hard to tell, you know, because um, there's a bit of seasonality in it as well as we go into the summer. Um, but uh, it may well be that the peak is next year, early next year, um, rather than this year. Um, but still, I, I, I still think we're we're at or near the peak now. Uh, uh, one of my, uh, my penultimate question, I suppose, is I talked a bit about the investment implications of house builders to the general economy. And I suppose the one that missed off was banks or financial services institutions. Um should we worry? Because, of course, there, we've heard this story before, <clears throat> global financial crisis, uh, 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 massive overselling of dodgy mortgages, sound familiar, um, and that ended up threatening the financial system. And, of course, if you talk to the bank, central bank regulators, central banks, the regulators, they said, no, 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 nothing to worry about. All the banks are in much better shape. Where do you stand on that debate if we do have a, a, a bursting of the bubble? Yeah, I agree with the uh, with the officials. I think the the bank capital ratios are far higher than they were, much higher than before. So they've got a lot more protection. Um, but also, the banks haven't taken as much risk this time uh, in mm. terms of mortgages. We haven't seen that uh, explosion of subprime lending we saw in the US, which caused so much trouble. Um, we also haven't seen the the derivatives, the CDOs and CDO squares, and all that stuff that uh, went badly wrong uh, in two thousand eight. Um, there may be some areas of distress, particularly in the US, where you've got some mortgage providers, non-bank yeah. mortgage yeah. providers, yeah. which yeah. which might be stressed. But that's unlikely to be systemic, I think. Yeah. Um, the, the problem in 2008 was the systemic risk with uh, banks, big banks with very little uh, capital, um, having invested with, with great leverage uh, into these uh, uh, CDOs, etc. So, John, uh, my, my last question and it's a leading to a whole different debate is just on we'll obviously talk about residential property but there must is there any linkage to commercial property or are the two markets almost entirely separated and the reason i ask that is a lot of uk investors have a lot of exposure to commercial reits be they office reits uh, big box reits industrial reits and that's a big old sector of the market is it true that if housing catches a cold then the rest of the, the commercial property sector catches a cold too, or, or are they actually very different uh, ecosystems? They are different. Obviously, interest rates have a similar sort of yeah, effect on yeah. both of them, and the economy does. Yeah. Um, I would say commercial real estate is probably more affected by the, the economy. Um, 
yeah. in particular if if you if if you're owning commercial real estate and you get a recession, you may not be able to find any kind of tenant um, for your property. Whereas with residential property, yeah. you nearly always can find a tenant if you cut the rent. There's always somebody there. Um, so that makes it a very different uh, market in terms of cash flows. Um, the other thing is a lot depends, obviously, on the uh, construction. Um, and so you have to look at that for each sector. We're obviously seeing a lot of a lot of uh, change in, in the commercial uh, yeah. with yeah. retail obviously in trouble because of online yeah. shopping and, and offices perhaps yeah. because of working from home so there's all that going on uh, there is talk of a of an overbuild in the warehouse sector yeah uh, now um, which has been doing very well uh, the last couple of years but i think you've got to look at those those markets very independently but yeah. those two factors the economy and interest rates are still going to impact them just as they do housing yeah and i must say just a last observation i have is that Whenever I've looked in the London office market, it seems to have been remarkably resilient. <laughs> you know, anybody who's ever tried to shop for office space in London, thinking that somehow after the COVID, uh, COVID pandemic, prices had collapsed because of all the work from home, is in for a big surprise <laughs> when, they, when, they, when they come and look at the rates. But maybe that could be about to change. But anyway. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, there is an argument that uh, if people can work from home two or three days a week, then it makes having an office in London more feasible for some companies. Yeah, because they can people can come in from far afield. Yeah, um, so having the office in London rather than in Sheffield or somewhere maybe maybe more viable. John, thank you very much, and um, I think it's probably, if you're right, good news for younger members of the Stevenson Calverley family. Uh, probably bad news for anybody who's about to go and buy a property now, looking at it thinking, "Oh God, prices might come down by ten or fifteen percent." Anyway, John, thank you very much. Okay, thank you.